Praise the Lord. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tonight. We'll start in verse 6 and read down through verse 9. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he's run up on a situation where there are divisions in the church. Some say their favorite minister is Apollos. Others say their favorite one's Peter. And some are saying their favorite one is Paul. And he tries to show that, uh, that none of that really matters. But the, the teaching that they're receiving from those ministers does is the, is the thing that matters. Beginning in verse 6, Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. He's talking about him and Apollos. For we are laborers together with God, but you are God's husbandry. You are God's building. The word husbandry there literally means garden. He's saying you are God's garden. Now let's back up and take a big picture point of view or uh, take a look at the big picture. I want to pose a question to you. I'm not talking about the value of the word. We all recognize the value and the, the preciousness of the word. But what's the purpose for God giving us his word? What's the purpose for God giving us his word? Folks, I would submit to you that it has no purpose other than to reveal what God is eager to do for us. As such, this principle of faith that the Bible talks about in Mark chapter 4. Why don't you turn to Mark chapter 4. We'll see some of these verses that pertain to this. But as Jesus described in Mark Mark chapter 4, the word of God is a seed that is to be planted in the ground. That seed, which is intended by God for us to take care of, nurture, feed on the word to cause it to grow and establish God's plan and purpose for our lives or God's will for us in our lives. That purpose for God fulfilling his promises and every word that he's spoken to us cannot happen, will not happen, does not happen. Unless we plant the seed of God's word like we would plant a garden. In uh, Hebrews, Paul talks about, I think Paul's the author, the author of the book of Hebrews, tells us about how that the, uh, reminds us of the Old Testament account where Israel comes to the edge of the promised land. And they received the same promises as the next generation under Joshua had to take possession of the land. But Paul goes on to say, he says, these things, this word that God had given to them did not profit them because they didn't mix faith with it. Think about what that means. That means you can have a promise from God, an eternal, unchanging, all-powerful promise from God for healing or for finances or anything else. But you can have the word of God, which is the truth that never changes. You can have the word of God, which is the power of God to heal and restore and deliver and so forth. And that word won't do you a bit of good unless you plant it in your own heart. We oftentimes focus on the power of the word and rightly so. The Bible says that God's upholding the universe with the word of his power. Not the power of his word, but the word of his power. But it is necessary, it is critical for us to take this thing called faith And apply it to the word of God so that the word of God doesn't become null and void. 
Jesus talked about this. Mark chapter 4. Jesus speaks the parable of the sower sowing the word. Let's just start in verse 1. It says, And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by, his, by parables. And he said unto them this, and he said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell, among, some fell of the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell among, on thorny ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, but because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty and some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those that were with him, with the twelve, asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. There's something about this parable that, that uh, reveals discloses the mystery of the whole kingdom of God. Jesus said unto you, it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, I mean those that were not followers of Jesus, all these things are done in parables that seeing may th- they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. Now let's, let's talk about that for a minute. <clears throat> it sounds from the King James rendering of this, uh, this verse in the King James translation. It sounds like Jesus is picking and choosing who gets what. But in reality, he's just bringing forth a simple principle of truth. And that is people on the outside, people that don't commit themselves to the things of God, are not going to have the revelation of the word. And God wants it that way. God wants those who are his followers, those who dedicate themselves to his word, to be the ones that receive Revelation by the Holy Spirit as to the true meaning of what Jesus said. In other words, Jesus is saying you have to go all in. If you're going to understand the things of the kingdom of God, you're going to have to go all in. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, verse 13, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? Now this is a a critical statement, folks. He's saying, You can't understand any of the parables unless you understand this one. This is the key, the master key that unlocks the the truth about any and every parable that he he speaks in. And you know as well as I do, he talked a lot during his earthly ministry in parables. He provided the truth and made it available to those of us that will dig and search for the meaning. But it's not a casual come as you are, do as you want type operation know you not this parable and how then will you know all parables so then he begins to explain the parable to him the sower sows the word in other words the seed that the sower put in the ground is the word of God and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown but when they have heard Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts in other words they're hearers but not doers and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, no depth of earth, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. 
I want you to realize, folks, what Jesus is saying. He said in a different uh, way to his disciples at the end of his ministry, the last night that he was betrayed at the Last Supper. He says to his disciples, I have called you and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. It's not just about producing fruit. It's about producing lasting fruit. And so the stony ground type of person that hears the word of God, they get instant results or immediate results or quick results, but it doesn't last. Verse 18, it says, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Don't let the word lust throw you. It just means desire. It's saying that this, this type of person, the thorny ground type of person, are ones that get distracted by other things that they care more about than the word. And then the implication there is very easy to see. He's telling us that the word should count more for us and be more important to us than anything else in life. So these things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Verse 20, and these are they which are sown on the ground, on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. Luke's account of this, Luke chapter 8, verse 15, I believe it is, said they hear the word and keep it. Keep it, give attention to it in other words. These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, or keep it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold and some sixty and some a hundred. Now skip down with me to uh, verse 26. Jesus said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Please notice that statement. That's huge. Jesus is saying everything about the kingdom of God is to this end, planting seed into the ground. Now, he's already identified the ground, four different types of ground. And he's talking about people. And he's talking, literally talking about people's hearts, their spirits. And Jesus says, the whole of the kingdom of God, everything God wants for you. Remember, Jesus defined the kingdom of God in the Lord's Prayer. He told them to pray. He didn't tell us to pray this way because his kingdom's already come. But he told them to pray, thy kingdom come. And then he defines it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Folks, that's what the kingdom of God was. That's what these guys went out preaching everywhere. That God wants things for you here on the earth just like he wants them in heaven. Now, anytime I, I talk about this or use that illustration, refer to that scripture, I always have to add this in because it, it was an eye-opener for me. I have never had anybody come and want to know what God's will is in heaven. Ever. Nobody has any questions about that. Well, if Jesus defined the kingdom of God accurately, truthfully, where the will of God is done here on the earth in your life, just like it will be in heaven. If he told us the truth, that answers a lot of questions. That opens a lot of doors spiritually. It opens a lot of doors for us. And remember, if the only purpose there is for the word of God is to reveal, for God to reveal, what he's eager to do for us and what he wants to fulfill in our lives. Then Jesus was faithful to tell us how that comes about. He's faithful to tell us how each and every one of us can receive anything and everything from God so that his will would be the same here on the earth for us, for you and for me, just like it is in heaven. 
I think too many people are putting off in their, in their mind. Maybe they're not even conscious they're doing it. Maybe it's not a conscious thought. But there's a lot of Christians, maybe too many Christians, that are waiting to get to heaven to, to experience eternal life. You're not going to have any more eternal life there than you have here. The only difference won't be a difference in you. It'll be a difference in the surroundings. There's no devil in heaven to overcome. There's no evil to resist. But you're the same. You'll have a redeemed body by that time. But to you, the real you on the inside, nothing changes. So Jesus said, let me read verse 26 again. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast or plant seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, folks, I want you to realize when he talks about the whole of the earth bringing forth fruit, he's not talking just about the ground. He's not talking about just the the soil or the dirt that we plant natural plants and plant natural seeds in. He's talking about the ground as being a type of your heart. He's literally saying the human spirit is created to apply faith to God's word so that God's will can come to pass in their life. That's the way you were made. And nothing can change that. God made it that way. It'll always be that way. Your spirit, your heart, is designed to be the ground that God's fulfillment of his promises take place in. Well, no wonder the Bible makes such a big deal about faith then. No wonder Jesus made such a big deal about faith when it came to healing. Because God's will, his kingdom coming to pass, his will be done on the earth as it was in heaven, which Jesus showed us include healing. He told the disciples, whatever city you go in, if the people receive you, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is coming soon. So he identified healing as part of the kingdom of God. But that kingdom of God cannot come to pass unless you plant the seed in your own spirit, your own heart. I'm using heart and spirit interchangeably. They're not always used that way in Scripture, but many times they are. So the Bible is telling us the only way for the kingdom of God, the will of God to be done in you and in your life here on the earth just like it is in heaven, that kingdom that came as a result of the resurrection of Jesus, the only way that can come to pass is if you plant the good seed of God's word in your heart. That's it. Now, the parable that he started with, the so or so in the word, tells us the different types of people or different stages of people's, um, well, it could, it could be spiritual growth. It it's, seems that some of us grow through one stage to the next stage and so forth as we learn more and begin to place a higher priority on his word. But these four types of ground show the differing results, if any, the word of God, same word of God, same that produces hundredfold and good ground. The same word in some cases won't produce anything because of the attention, the lack of attention that the, the hearer gives to it. It produces minimal results for others that take hold of it for a short period of time but then lose heart. It produces more results in others that, uh, that plant the word of God in their heart, intend to hold on to it but then gets distracted by the things of the world. 
But all of these are different types of soil. Nothing wrong with the word. The word's the same for each, each one. And Jesus is saying that the whole kingdom of God is, is about planting the word of God in your own spirit. Now, remember where we started over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. How did they plant? How did Paul plant and how did Apollos water? Well, Paul, being the first one that ministered the truth of Jesus' resurrection to the Corinthians, the one that started the church in Corinth, since it was the first time they heard it, he planted. But Apollos, telling them the same things that Paul told them and maybe even teaching in other areas, a little bit more in depth. Maybe he stayed there longer in Corinth that, uh, than uh, what Paul did. We don't know. But he's teaching the word of God. They're both ministering the word of God. Paul said the laborers are one. Whether I'm planting or whether I'm watering, the laborers are one because they're doing the same thing in both situations. And that is they're proclaiming and or teaching the truth of the word of, concerning who we are in Christ, what Jesus said and so forth. So to plant the seed is to speak the word of God into your own heart. And Jesus said the whole kingdom of God's like that. Now how many Christians do you know that are looking for God to do something for them without ever saying taking a position on the word to speak it into their own heart? I would say that it's the majority of Christians that we know of. I hope you don't fall in that category. But so many do. But if you think about it, the Bible tells us that that's the way that we enter into the kingdom of God. It's by faith in the word of God that says Jesus died for our sins on the cross and was raised from the dead for our justification for us to be made righteous. The exercise of that faith by your confession to confess Jesus as Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and to confess him as Lord as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says. That confession is you planting the word of God, the seed of God's word in your own spirit. And it brings you out of the kingdom of darkness and translates you into the kingdom of God. That one simple act. Well, if that one simple, simple act, which falls directly in line, agrees completely with what Jesus said, the whole kingdom of God is like planting a seed in the ground. If that's what brings us into the new birth, into eternal life, into the family of God, why would we think faith would work different in other areas? I think too many people, unfortunately, don't see faith as the principle whereby we receive anything and everything of God. But that goes back to our big picture point of view. What purpose is there for the word of God? From God's standpoint, what purpose is there in him giving us his word if not to fulfill the promises that he makes? If not to bring to pass that which the word says he's eager to do for us, then what purpose is the word? God certainly doesn't need the word. The Bible doesn't change God one way or the other. The Bible is the result of who God is and the revelation that he brings to us about what he's willing to do. See, the word changes us. The word changes us. Let me read this again, beginning in verse 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God. This is what all the kingdom of God is like. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. You realize that the way you plant seed is by speaking the word of God to yourself. 
That's how the whole kingdom of God works. And he should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should spring and grow up. He knows not how. Well, the seed's powerful enough to do the job that it was sent to do. Then he goes on again and says, for the earth brings forth fruit. Now, the earth he's talking about is not dirt or the soil. He's talking about the heart of man. That's where you plant the seed of God's word in, in your heart, the spirit. You do that through your confession. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know many situations, can use many examples, where God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament had to get people saying the right things. We know the story of Joshua in the city of Jericho, the walls falling down around the city of Jericho. God gave specific instruction on how many times a day the people were supposed to walk around the walls and how many days before they were supposed to even utter a word. God knew that if he didn't shut the people up, then they wouldn't be successful in taking the city he had promised. So he commanded them. He gave Joshua a commandment and Joshua passed it on to the people. You can't talk for a week. He forbid them to speak for a week, from one week period of time. Because the beginning of that week was when they started going around the walls one time a day. The end of that week, seven days later, they walked around the city of Jericho seven times. And then they shouted. And then the walls came down. You remember in the, uh, in, when John the Baptist was about to be born, or uh, Elizabeth was about to conceive, the angels appeared to John's father. Zacharias, is that his name? He appeared to, to John's father and told him what was going on and found that, John, that uh, John's father, Zacharias, was hesitant. He was resistant to what the angel said would come to pass, really would come to pass. So the angel had to keep him quiet. He didn't strike him with, with sickness or disease, but he made him unable to speak for the period of time that Mary was, that uh, John's mother was pregnant, Elizabeth was pregnant. Jesus told us that by our words we'd be justified and by our words we'd be condemned. The Bible gives us example after example after example of the importance of speaking in line with what God's word says and not wavering from that position. Because the whole of the kingdom of God is that way. Let me say it this way. Let me turn around and say it this way. Maybe this will make a little bit more sense. Maybe this is a better way to say it. Your spirit will produce anything you plan into it by the word of God. Jesus who was on to talk about, or maybe it's in the preceding verses, I'm not sure. But somewhere in this same chapter, he said the kingdom of God is like a man planting into the ground a grain of mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds, but grows into the biggest of all trees. He's saying even the smallest amount of faith defined as speaking the word of God to your own heart, your own spirit. Planting the word of God, accepting the truth of God's word, keeping it by reminding yourself and saying over and over again what the word says about you. He said that'll produce bigger things than you could even imagine. Because your spirit is designed that way. Man's spirit is designed to bring forth results 
of the seed of the word of God planted on the inside. It works every time. It works every time. Notice that Jesus talking about the parable or giving us the parable, explaining the parable to the disciples indicates that these things don't happen instantly. There's a keeping process. There's a watering process that's necessary. It's necessary to hold fast the profession of your faith. Hebrews 10.23 is a wonderful scripture. The Holy Ghost inspired the writer to say, let us hold fast the profession. That word profession is the word confession. It means the words of your mouth. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Well, you know as well as I do, if we got instant results every time we spoke the word of God or claimed some blessing from God, if we got instant results every time, there wouldn't be anything to hold fast to. There wouldn't be any fight of faith. But the good fight of faith is maintaining your profession without the confession of your mouth without wavering. The good fight of faith is won by confessing the word and only the word and nothing else concerning your situation, your circumstances. That's how you win the good fight of faith. There is a keeping process. There is a keeping mechanism to faith, to holding fast the word of faith, to holding fast to the promises of God that's necessary to bring forth the results. James said it this way. He said, you have need of patience. After that, you have done the will of God you might receive. He said, patience bringing, coming to its full fruition, fully maturing, will make you perfect and entire, wanting nothing, lacking no good thing. Well, again, if we had instant results, be no need for patience. We wouldn't even know what patience was. If we got instant results to our prayers. So is the kingdom of God. As if a man should plant seed into his own heart. Let me say it this way. Let me change the wording up a little bit. The whole of the kingdom of God. Everything about the kingdom of God. Everything about what God wants for you. Everything of the word says belongs to you. Comes by speaking the word of God to your own spirit. It comes by speaking the word of God to your own spirit. It comes by speaking the word of God to your own spirit. Your spirit is designed, divinely engineered to bring forth whatever word of God you speak to it, to yourself. It's designed, and nobody can change this design. It's designed to bring forth whatever you confess about the word of God. I love the fact that Jesus said when a man plants the seed of God's word into his own heart, he goes to sleep and he rises. He indicates the passage of time, maybe a short time, maybe a long time. We don't know. But it says it springs up and grows forth or springs forth and grows up. And he doesn't even have to know how it works. I take great comfort in that. I don't have to know how everything's going to work. Because, see, the devil tries to beat you up about Well, how's it going to work? I don't know. Somebody said that unwavering faith, they defined it this way. Unwavering faith is where you cross the line so that you have no more questions of God. When you come to the place where you know that you don't have to have all the answers, you just know if I believe I received, then I'll have when you come to that place, 
The good fight of faith is much easier to win. But in those times, and it generally starts in the beginning of whatever we're believing for, in those times where the devil beats you up and tries to question every little thing, well, how's this going to happen, and what about this, and how can that be because of this and because of that and the other? Those become our toughest times of struggle. But when you just lean back on the Word of God and say, the Word of God is powerful enough to get this job done, and Jesus said that the whole of the kingdom of God, me receiving anything and everything I need, the healing that I need, the finances I need, anything and everything that I need would come to pass just simply by my holding fast the profession of my faith. Because God is faithful who promised. God delights to keep his word. God delights in bringing his promises to pass in your life. He delights in that. The Bible says he's full of tender, eager yearning. Tender mercies and eager yearning. He wants to do more for us than we want him to do. But the only way he can is if we trust him. How do you trust him? By confessing the word. Speaking the word of God into your own heart. Speaking the word of God into your own heart. So is the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus said if you understand these principles then you can understand the whole of the mystery of the kingdom of God. I believe the mystery of the kingdom of God is very simple. I believe the mystery of the kingdom of God is the explanation or the understanding. Understanding is a better word. It's the understanding that this is how God's word works. God does nothing apart from his word. And he can't fulfill his word in your life unless you speak it into your own heart. Unless you plant that seed of God's promise for healing or for finances, or again, whatever the word promise, unless we plant the seed into our hearts and maintain it, don't let it get choked out by the distractions of the earth, by the cares of this world. When we hold fast the profession of our faith, then God can be faithful to bring to his promise to pass. And God delights in that not only because he gets to be good to you and me, but he delights in it because we've learned we're growing, we're developing to understand the truth and the importance of God's word in our lives. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should plant seed into his heart, the good ground of his heart. Everything about the kingdom of God works that way. Well, then tell me this. Since that's true, and the Bible bears it out in a number of ways, since that's true, what could possibly be more important than faith? When it comes to receiving God from God, nothing could. Because faith is the criteria. Faith is a requirement. You remember the story in Mark chapter 9? Why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 9? This is the story of the man that brings his uh, demon-oppressed son to Jesus. But Jesus is gone. Jesus comes back and he sees the religious leader gathered around his disciples. And so he asks what's going on. And one of the multitude, start reading in about verse 17. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And whithersoever he taketh him, he tears him, and he foams and gnashes with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Other translations said they tried and failed. 
Well, that would be the only way they would know that they couldn't is if they had made an attempt. But they weren't able to cast the evil spirit out of this young boy. So Jesus answered the father and said unto him, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Please notice that Jesus identified the reason that the disciples could not cast him out. Because the father didn't have any faith. Jesus doesn't say to the disciples. He didn't turn around to the disciples and upbraid them. He answered him. Him is the father who's speaking. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Bring him to me. What does Jesus know that the disciples didn't know? Jesus understands that the father was without faith because a lack of faith is the only thing that can keep the word of God and the power, the authority over evil spirits that Jesus has already delegated to his disciples. Unbelief is the only thing that can keep that from working. So Jesus knows that. Apparently the disciples didn't. So Jesus identifies that the problem is lack of faith on the part of the father. The father didn't bring him in faith. He probably brought him out of desperation. And I can't fault him for that. If my son was in that condition, I'd do the same thing. Maybe he's operating on everything that he knows. We don't have that answer. Jesus said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And they brought him unto Jesus. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit inside of the young boy tore him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. So apparently it has some connection with these fits. Seizures or whatever we want to call them. And Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, since he was a child. Now, I'm not making excuses for anything, but you could understand that if you're you're facing that day after day without any hope or any promise of change, that would put you in a pretty desperate condition, wouldn't it? We don't know what this father knew. We don't know if he was a follower of Jesus enough to know that he's supposed to believe something. We don't know if he's a follower of Jesus to the degree that he's heard anything that Jesus has had to say. Maybe the only thing that he's heard is that people get healed by Jesus. And so he gives it a try, which certainly isn't faith. We don't know. But Jesus simply asked him, how long ago is it since this came unto him? And he said, since he was a child. And then he explains further their experience. He said, and oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. There's a lot packed into that scripture where the father says, if you can do anything to help us, please do. If there's anything you can do. Now, what would he have to know? Or maybe a better thing to say is, what would he have to not know about Jesus to be in the position where he's not sure if Jesus can help? He can't be a close follower. He's heard enough to know that Jesus gets results. But he doesn't know enough to know that Jesus is doing the will of God and doesn't leave anybody sick whenever they uh, exhibit faith or exercise their faith to receive. He can't know that. So he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Please notice that the man is asking for mercy. Now, folks, that worked a lot of times in Jesus' ministry. It tells about people Jesus would pass by on the wayside and cry out, have mercy on me. And then Jesus would minister to them and their eyes would be open. The the Bible talked about a couple of blind guys in that condition. And their eyes were opened. The Bible talks a lot about people that called out for mercy. They understood that healing was a mercy and received. 
And this father's asking for mercy too. But he's not asking for mercy because of what he believes. He's just trying to get some results. He doesn't assume that he has anything to do with this. And Jesus lets him know that he does. So he says, but if you can do anything, then have compassion on us and help us. How does God respond? If Jesus is the example of God here on the earth, Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. He said, I always do my Father's will. Any number of scriptures we could take would lead us to the same conclusion. And that is, however Jesus handles this man's appeal for mercy is how we can expect God to, to respond to our appeal for mercy. And most often, in my experience, people don't put mercy and faith together. In my experience, when people are calling out on God for mercy, they're trying to get God to do an end run around faith or the exercise of faith. So many times people are crying out for mercy expecting God to violate his own word when he says it takes faith to receive from him. So if whatever Jesus does, however Jesus responds to this man's call for mercy, again, I sympathize with the situation, especially this being a son and all. But however Jesus responds to this man's appeal for mercy, we can expect God to to respond to our appeal for mercy. What does Jesus do? Jesus says unto him, if you can believe, if you can believe, then all things are possible to him that believeth. Jesus knows it's the will of God for this boy to be delivered. No question about that. Jesus doesn't have to stop and pray and say, well, now, wait a minute. You know, I delivered to my apostles authority over evil spirits to cast out devils. If they couldn't do this, then maybe I need to go to prayer and find out if there's something else going on here. Maybe I need to pray and see if God's trying to teach you or your son or your family something through this condition. He didn't even consider that because he knows all demonic activity is of the devil and his purpose to be on the earth was to to destroy the works of the devil. He knows it's God's will to heal everybody. He knows that God doesn't want anybody bound or or, uh, in any kind of bondage of the enemy. So that's not where Jesus starts. Jesus pinpoints the one issue, the one and only one issue that's going to make the difference. So he says to the father, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. He's telling him point blank. He's saying it's not about whether I'm merciful. Certainly I'm merciful. Certainly I have compassion on you. But it still takes you believing. It still takes you believing. Now why is that true? Because the whole of the kingdom of God is as if a man planted seed into the good ground of his spirit. That's how everything in the kingdom of God works. Jesus can't violate that principle. A lot of people that I see come for healing aren't trying to believe anything on their own. They want God to violate his word and just do something special for them because he loves them. Well, God can't violate his word for you or me or anybody else. And unless there's some manifestation of the spirit and gifts of healings or working of miracles or something like that, it always comes down to what we believe. Always. Well, how do we know what we believe? Again, in Matthew chapter 12, I think it's verse 46. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's got to get this guy saying something that's according to the the word. He's got to get this father confessing something. 
in line with the word. So Jesus responds to his appeal for mercy. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. I bet this situation looked like an impossible one to the father. I bet he looks at his son and sees this happen and he's reminded of other times that it happened. He's reminded of how long his son has been in this condition. He's probably become disheartened by the failure on the part of the disciples to get the boy any help. Maybe there was a glimmer of hope that caused him to find Jesus in his company to begin with. But after the disciples fail, he's probably throwing up his hand saying, is there any help for my son? And Jesus still requires faith. Jesus doesn't put his arm around the father and say, man, I can only imagine what a tough spot you're in. I certainly sympathize with your dilemma. I sympathize with the love that you have for your son. I sympathize with how long it's been this way. So I tell you what I'll do. I'll just work a miracle here. You just sit down and rest. That's not what he does. He requires of the Father the same thing that he requires of you and me and everybody else. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. There's no limit to what can be done if you'll just speak the word. There's no limit to what can be done if you'll just exercise a little bit of faith. So what the father does next, it says in verse 24, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now, I say this just about every time we come to this scripture. That doesn't sound like great faith to me. But remember that Paul said to the, to the Hebrews, writing to the Hebrews, he said Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. All Jesus needs is for this guy to start down the right road. He doesn't need him to get to the end of the road. And when the father says, Lord, I believe, there's the mustard seed grain of faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus delivers this young boy to his father, healed and whole. It seems that Jesus is happy to be the finisher of our faith. It seems that Jesus is satisfied, well satisfied as the example of God here operating here on the earth. He's well satisfied to be the finisher of our faith. One of the things that Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Ghost would do after he went to the Father, talking about the resurrection, he said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Another translation says it will guide you into all reality. I like that. Guide you into all reality. What reality is he going to guide us into? Well, if you're looking for healing, he's going to guide you into the reality of healing. If you're looking for financial needs to be met, then he's going to lead you into the or lead and guide you into the reality of prosperity and abundance and provision. Whatever it is that we need from God, if it's covered by a promise of God in the Scripture, the Holy Ghost will lead you to that end. He will lead you to that end. That's one of the greatest things that I personally rely on the Holy Ghost for. Guide me into the reality of this. I don't want to think some wrong thoughts I don't want to get him uh, embroiled in some non-truth thing that's a part of my 
religious background or religious upbringing. I want the truth. I don't care if I have to change my thinking to accept it. I want the truth. I want the truth of healing. I want the truth of blessings and prosperity. I want the truth of what God's plan and purpose is for my life. And Jesus said the Holy Ghost would guide me into those truths. He said he'd guide me into those realities. That's one of the greatest areas of the work of the Holy Ghost that I rely on. I talk to him every day. Lord, lead me into the reality of this. Lead me into the reality of who we are in Christ. Lead me into the reality of the power of the name of Jesus. Lead me into the reality of these things. God doesn't want us uninformed. He doesn't want us in the dark. Everything about the Bible, everything about the, the, everything in Scripture talks about the Bible being the light, walking in the light, walking according to the Word. He wants to show you. He didn't want to keep you bound. He didn't want to keep you uninformed. He didn't want to keep you in the dark. The Word is to shed light on us, to shine light on the things that Jesus has done for us. So all he needs is his Father to take a baby step. One small step. So he says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I personally think it would have been a stronger statement if he didn't qualify it. Help my unbelief. But the Bible doesn't whitewash how things are. This is what the father said. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus delivered the boy. That's when the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the will of God came into being. After the man planted the seed of God's word in his own heart. He confessed that he believed. Obviously, he didn't feel much in the way of faith. But he took a step from his heart. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. The Bible says that God is gracious and full of compassion, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. How do you access God's tender mercies? Through faith. If this story is an example to us, and if it's not, why is it there? This shows us how we can take advantage of, take hold of, exercise our rights to the mercy of God simply by faith, simply by speaking the word of God to your own heart. Simple faith. Yeah, but it just doesn't seem like that's enough, Pastor Mike. I've been confessing the word for a long time and it just doesn't seem like it's working. Well, thank God the kingdom of God is like a man planting seed into the ground. He sleeps and rises, sleeps and rises, sleeps and rises, sleeps and rises. And it produces fruit. He doesn't even have to know how. If you're speaking the word, you're planting good seed into the ground of your heart. And Jesus said, the heart is made to produce the word of God results. Your spirit, born again, Recreated in the image of God by the works of Jesus on the cross. Your spirit is designed to bring forth what the word of God says God wants you to have. Your spirit is designed to bring forth healing. Your spirit is designed to bring forth abundance. Your spirit is designed, God designed, to bring forth what the word says you have. Let us hold fast our profession of faith. For he is faithful that promised. Remember in the Old Testament, God said that the word of God would not return into him void, but it would accomplish what he sent it to do. How does the word of God return to God? He, he originated, he gave it to us. 
So it was from heaven coming down. How does the word of God return to him? Through our confession. Through the profession of our faith. And God said, Old Testament and New, he doesn't change from one to the other. God said, it shall not return unto me void of power. So no matter how long you and I have been saying something, every time we say it, it exhibits the power of God to produce fruit, to produce results, to produce healing. The word of God never returns to God void. He never hears it and says, well, that power's gone for today. The word of God is the power of God to heal. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the simple truth of your word. We thank you that the Holy Ghost reveals it to us. We thank you that he guides us into reality. Father, we declare that we believe your word is true. Lord, we believe that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. We believe that since the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, that he is quickening our mortal body. We believe that we receive our healing according to the word of God. And you said, Lord, that that prayer of faith would save or heal the sick and that you would raise them up. We believe you're doing that. We believe your word. So we count it done. We say, in calling things that be not as though they are, as you instructed us to do, we say that our bodies are free from sickness and disease, from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. We say that we are restored to divine health. We say that we walk every day of our lives in the fullness of the healing power of God. We call our bodies well. We call our bodies healed. According to our faith in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but that doesn't produce any feelings for me. You know what that means? Not a thing in the world. It doesn't work by feelings. It works by faith. And faith declares the truth of God's word no matter what we feel or what we don't feel. No matter what pain may exist in our body or difficulties or whatever else, circumstances and symptoms. When you declare God's word in spite of the circumstances over you, according to what Jesus did, that puts the power of God to work in you. And it'll grow a harvest. And it'll produce better results, bigger results, more impossible things than you even thought were possible. Jesus said so. Thank God he did. Amen. Say it with me. I believe I receive my healing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We sure love you and we're in agreement with you for those things that you're standing for. In Jesus' name. Amen.